podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. The best and worst 1980s novelty rap. Welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name's Will, and joining me, as always, are my friends and co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hey there. Hello, everybody. Hello. On today's show, we're going to be discussing the best and the worst novelty rap songs of the 1980s. And on Thursday, I'm hoping you'll join us again because we're going to have a very special guest who whose first rap song itself was a novelty song, or certainly his, his first uh, well-known rap song, the Square Dance Rap. And of course, I'm talking about Sir Mix-A-Lot. So this week, we're throwing a bonus mm-hmm. episode at you, a very special one. So join us again on Thursday for that. Now, I want to say one thing. When we're talking about best and worst rap novelty songs of the 1980s, we're not going to get your song on it. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Just write us and let us know what it was or post it on Facebook. And the other thing is, we're not talking about the Super Bowl Shuffle. Everyone knows it's the worst song. Uh, whoa, whoa, you're saying that all wrong. Yeah, yeah the Super Bowl Shuffle is not a novelty song. It's oh. just a regular rap song mm. that's a top 40 hit. You wouldn't call that novelty? No, absolutely not. He would. Mm. He, he works for Big Football or something. <laughs> well, we're not going to talk about it because we talked about it on at least two episodes. And Ray mm-hmm. and I would argue if it's the best or worst, and we'd both be right. Before we get started with the show proper, though, once again, it's time for... Thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> this is just a regular feature now. We're just so... have so much gratitude. We want to say welcome to a number of the different countries that are now tuning in in larger numbers. So, hello, India. Hello, India. Canada, <laughs> UK, Germany, Australia, Nepal, France. Mm. The three of us grew up in the United States during the 1980s, so we'd love to hear from you, your thoughts, your feelings, what you love about 1980s pop culture. So, and to, to make it really easy for you to let us know, just write directly to me. Here's my email, will at 1980snow.com. We also want to uh, make mention of Rob, who on Twitter wrote to us saying, I was so happy to find this podcast as I'm always looking for some good Gen X material threw in my ear pods and started listening only to hear someone screaming fire, fire every 30 seconds. Now I'm no longer happy and my ear hurts. So much sadness. I gotta admit, <laughs> it took me a moment or two to realize what he was talking about. No? Do, am I going to feel silly that I don't know? <laughs> mm, maybe. I'll give you a clue. Fire! Oh! <laughs> So unfortunately for Rob, the first episode that he listened to was the one where we talked about fantasy movies and interviewed Tammy Stronach, because mm-hmm. that was the one where we introduced that, uh, I don't know, uh, system of keeping Ray in check. Although there's no yes. keeping Ray in check, really. Maybe just a warning, putting a warning out for the audience. <laughs> and as the audience is, has shown, yeah. it's a failure. Yes. <laughs> I should be allowed to yes. just say whatever I want. Yes, yes. Um, but once I explained to him what the deal was, he said that he'd give the show another go-round. Once, quote, my nerves have settled. Wow. Uh, and then later wrote, subscribed. Awesome. That's a story that has a happy ending. So maybe it wasn't a failure, Ray. You know what that makes you? <laughs> Liar! 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 Hey, and that was... 
Thank you for your cooperation. <laughs> you can uh, write to us. Uh, you can go to the Facebook page and reach us on there with a little form, 1980snow.com. Or seriously, will at 1980snow.com. There. Okay. Hey, finally, let's get caught up on 1980s news. This week in 1980s news, we have learned via the Hollywood Reporter that Kevin Bacon has joined the cast of Legendary's reboot of 1984's trauma film, The Toxic Avenger. So maybe unlike Dungeons and Dragons, where we're dealing with the Hugh Grant situation, <laughs> this is a better choice for a villain? This is where I admit that I never saw the original, mm. so I clearly mm -hmm. need to do that. But okay. I'm fine with Kevin Bacon. But okay, first I'll tell you. Toxic mm -hmm. Avenger was filmed in our home state of New Jersey. Seriously? In fact, there are scenes filmed just in my neighborhood in Jersey City, which I've talked about on the show. Hey, you talked about that. <laughs> yes, you did. It's fine. So, the Toxic Avenger is an amazing movie. Mm -hmm. It is a classic that everyone should witness. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am actually super excited now that Dinklage mm -hmm. and Kevin Bacon are on board mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because- okay. Kevin Bacon played the bad guy in the movie Super, which had Rain Wilson. Right. Um, I love that movie. It was fantastic. James Gunn movie. Yeah, James yeah. Gunn. That movie kicked ass, and I'm hoping they have him play it the same way. I'm hoping they have him be the mayor mm. and play it the same way he did in that movie. I think it would be yeah. perfect. Yeah, he's he's played a bad guy in lots of movies. Uh, like you mentioned, Super, uh, X-Men First Class, he was a bad guy. He, I remember way back, he was a bad guy in that uh, movie where they're like rafting on a river. I think it's, is it Meryl Streep or somebody? He's like, hmm. you don't know he's a bad guy. It's kind of a twist. Mm. Thanks for ruining it oh, for oh, me. Oh. <laughs> wow. Kevin, Kevin Bacon's remember. been in like 700 yes. movies, so he's bound to play a course, bad guy yes. at some point. But as, as Ray mentioned, uh, Peter Dinklage is headlining as the hero. Kevin Bacon's mm -hmm. going to play a slick and probably over-the-top villain. Because, you know, mm -hmm. if, if they're trying to keep in the spirit of these films, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, and also rounding out the cast is Jacob Tremblay. Elijah Wood just joined. Julia Davis just joined. And, uh, oh, and Taylor wow. Page was also already oh. a member of the cast. Yeah. This is a must-see. Yeah, Elijah Woods, man. I forgot about that one. That's yeah. another amazing grab they got on this one. Yeah. For a reboot of a B-movie. Mm. I mean, how amazing is that? <laughs> yeah, you you got to think that some of them now, you know, Peter Dinklage you know, is, around, is, around, is around our age. Mm -hmm. Elijah Wood, mm -hmm. I think, is younger. Not much. Uh, Bacon's older, but you got to think, you know, some mm -hmm. of them came up watching his film just like we did and have us, you know, sort of an affection for it that it'll probably an honor to be able mm -hmm. to step into a reboot of a film that they love. I think this one's going to be a summer blockbuster. Wait, when is it coming out? In the winter. <laughs> <laughs> As far as we know, they're still casting, so. Huh. In other 1980s news, I'm hoping this might turn your head, Ray. Maybe this will turn you around, get you off that Bruce Campbell, uh, Jason Mewes nonsense. Den of Geek is reporting, and a number of outlets are reporting that there's several set photos of the upcoming Flash film are now out on the internet. Um, many of them show off Ezra Miller as Barry Allen. Others show Sasha Kaye in her Supergirl costume, some suspended by wires. But I am most excited about those photos that show the now aged, aged, aging, <laughs> Bruce Wayne as played by Michael Keaton. Yes. Has <laughs> this changed your opinion, Ray? Are you now excited about it? Uh, no. All right. I don't like who they have playing the Flash. Mm. So I'm glad they didn't waste Bruce Campbell on this movie. <laughs> Me too. I think, uh, I think, no, actually, I think Michael Keaton is going to steal this movie. Yeah. He's the only actor in it that's worth the crap. So it's going to be an embarrassment for him, but he'll, he'll pull it through. Mm. 
Now, you know, also in this movie, Ben Affleck will also be appearing playing a version of Bruce Wayne and Bat slash Batman. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So it seems like this movie's probably based on the Flashpoint series of comics. Uh, and it's a real cool story, which I won't go into here because we're not a comic book podcast, but <laughs> so wait a minute. We do get multiple Batmans. Are they the same Batman in different well, timelines? In Flashpoint, actually in, in their main timeline, you've got Bruce Wayne as Batman. Mm-hmm. Flash then travels, you know, uh, into time. Yeah, yeah. And he changes history by saving his mother from being murdered. As a result, mm. he thinks it's a great thing, but then he starts realizing all this stuff has changed, including the fact that Bruce Wayne never became Batman. This, this oh. is a spoiler, folks. Turn it off if you don't want to know about possible spoilers for the Flash movie. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if they're, they're doing already this. with us. It's a cart. It's an anime. It's an animated movie in a comic book that's been around for years. But here's the story. And one of the things that happens in the future it turns out because you just see a Batman going around murdering people, which is what Batman doesn't usually do. Not the Batman he knows. He comes to learn that. That Batman is actually Thomas Wayne. And in that mm. timeline, Bruce Wayne was murdered in the alley and Thomas Wayne became Batman. But is this going to mean that uh, Keaton isn't actually playing Batman? He's just playing Bruce Wayne from from the images. He's not actually, he's not playing Batman. Well, they did uh, earlier before those set photos were leaked by folks watching there in, in England as they film it. The Some official photos from the director include just close-ups of the various costumes, and one of them is the iconic bat symbol on someone's chest, and the bat symbol looks like Michael Keaton's bat symbol. But do we see <laughs> Michael Keaton in it? Not yet. I knew it. <laughs> this is the bait and switch. Oh, here we go. We're getting we're getting Affleck <laughs> Batman. Affleck. And Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne. That's what we're getting. This is ridiculous. I'm out. Oh, I'm all out the way again. out. I mean it, I made it worse somehow. Oh, for crying out loud. I made <laughs> Why'd it worse. have to bring this up? <laughs> Kat, are you a fan as Michael Keaton as Batman? I am. Michael Keaton as Batman um, and Adam West as Batman are my, those are the two I know best. All right, cool. I also thought one of the photos, they show what Bruce Wayne is driving. That car looks like a Batmobile itself. Yeah, that was Maybe it's a car that turns into a Batmobile. I did some digging. It actually turns out it's a a concept car uh, by Mercedes (laughs) called the Vision Mercedes Maybach six. That car looked cool. You don't like that car, Ray? I love the car, but it's it's not the Batmobile. He's mm. just well, no, it's he's not, just it's, Bruce yeah. Wayne in this movie. This is well, sad. <laughs> well, he definitely wasn't driving the Batmobile then. He's like on the courthouse or something. Yeah, how could Steps. he have the Batmobile? <laughs> Why not? We'll have to wait until some some point in the future uh, to show that Ray is wrong. Okay, <laughs> hey, and other. <laughs> I think we're going to be playing the liar button on you uh, this time. Uh-oh. We'll see. Okay, another nineteen eighties <laughs> news. Uh, this one. Really curious. I didn't know about this, Ray. I'd be curious if you know about this from Van Halen News Desk, which I didn't know existed until now. But they report on a story that began back in 1995. At that time, someone named Jeff Hausman, who would go on to create the Van Halen News Desk, was uh, was publishing a magazine called The Inside, which became the ultimately became the official the band's official magazine. Uh, but in 1995, he published some photos that they had gotten their hands on, which showed Van Halen playing instruments outdoors along some life-size sculptures of dinosaurs. Um, <laughs> supposedly, the photos were taken by a roadie, but they didn't know what the photo shoot was for. They, they thought it was for a video. It was done during Fair Warning, when Fair Warning was coming out. So they assumed it was probably for a music video that got scrapped. And for 26 years, 
nobody has known uh, what that photo shoot was for. I'd never heard this, but you know, if um, somebody would have called, I don't know, David Lee Roth, Alex Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, or anyone, any one of the guys in the band, uh, maybe they could have just said, Hey, we were making a video. Like it would have just, it wouldn't have been a mystery. I I don't understand how this lasted this long. Cause seriously, David Lee Roth loves to talk. Yeah. And I guarantee if you'd have asked him, he would have talked about it for four hours. <laughs> You're right. And if this is the official magazine of the band, they were reporting it was a mystery? What's up that with that? Make any sense. How can you be the official site? Come on. Mm. Mm. Be better. All right. We need to, now, we, now there's another mystery that's been created as a result of this story. I'm going to create the Van Halen News Desk, newsdesk.com and do stories <laughs> about them that are mysteries. And this is the first one. But uh, so the mystery's been solved by the Van Halen Italia fan club who found video clips and uploaded them to YouTube. Yeah. They explained that at the end of 1981, and somehow they know, they knew before, they scooped right. the Van Halen news desk. Yeah. But they explained that at the end of 1981, Van Halen had filmed some video clips uh, in this uh, you know Jurassic Park in Italy, uh, which is called the Prehistoric Park of Rivolta di Ada near mm-hmm. Milan. The band was engaged in a European tour for promoting fair warning, which is what they had suspected. But the videos are actually... Uh, It's actually from a video that aired on Italian state television during a TV show called Happy Circus. And and if anyone's interested, you can watch David Lee Roth dry Mm -hmm. hump a dinosaur (laughs) in this video. Yes, yes. He's creating new dinosaurs, just like they did in Jurassic Park, the movie. Yeah, Yeah, two things stood out for me. Mm -hmm. One, what Ray just said, but in different words. Mm -hmm. He's wooing like a brontosaurus. No, that sounds like he's down on one knee with a, I don't know, his arm raised, Mm -hmm. reciting poetry. Well, he's (laughs) reciting poetry. Yes, that's true. He's singing, uh, so this is love Mm -hmm. to a dinosaur while he dry humps it. (laughs) What was, the other, what was the other, your other observation, Kat? Uh, The other one is, I know David Lee Roth is outlandish, but he (laughs) really... Leaves very little to the imagination. Oh, yeah. I see. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 You know, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> yes. Oh, I do too. Yes. Um, but I'm going to make Kat say it. What do you mean, Kat? I have no <laughs> idea what you're talking about. Two words, white yes. leggings. Oh, pff. two words. Cucumber, aluminum foil. <laughs> a spinal tap. <laughs> he couldn't get to the metal detector. Uh, uh, yeah, come on. David Lee Roth had to be stuffing, right? I mean, as you look at Absolutely the- Absolutely not. Oh boy. David Lee Roth is a rock star and a man yes. who would not stuff his spandex. The only problem I have with the idea that he didn't stuff uh, his spandex is, because I was staring at this trying to figure it out. I didn't pause, but I was <laughs> staring at the time weird. I showed him. Well, I was doing research for this reason. Right. It didn't biologically make sense to me. I think mm-hmm. the beans were above the franks. <laughs> As they say, and there's something well, about Mary. There's when you dance that much, mm, yeah. things move. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. So we also learned in an interview in the latest issue of Total Guitar that the late and great Eddie Van Halen's son Wolfgang details the making of his, uh, you know, recently uh, debuted album Mammoth and offered up a few surprises when questioned whether he used any of his father's equipment. Wolfgang responded that he did. In fact, he played the original Frankenstein on the solo on Mammoth. Mm -hmm. Uh, And regarding the guitar, he said, quote, you feel the history. It's kind of terrifying holding it because arguably it's the most famous guitar in musical history. End quote. Ray, do you think it's the most famous guitar? I would probably say, yeah, because 
the second you, you see it, yeah. you you know exactly what it is. There's no mm-hmm. doubt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's other guitars I recognize, but yeah, I think that's probably the most recognizable guitar. Yeah. The only other guitar that comes to mind is what BB uh, King's uh, Lucille. Ooh. Lucille, but you wouldn't recognize yeah, yeah. it necessarily in a guitar lineup, right? But, yeah, like I said, there's there's some really recognizable Jimi Hendrix guitar. Stevie Ray Vaughan's guitar is really recognizable, but it has a big SRV. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to miss it. Um, <laughs> Paul Stanley's um, mirror guitar. There's a lot of iconic guitars, but I, I honestly think Eddie's is the most iconic. But the thing I love most about this story is, is that they took yep. it out of a vault. And yeah. <laughs> Eddie played it for like two seconds and just threw it on the couch. And everyone in the room just gasped. Like, no. <gasps> You just threw the most famous guitar on the couch like it's a piece of trash. He's the only one allowed to do that. Well, and that's what Wolfgang said. That's He just thought of it as a guitar. Mm-hmm. He didn't mm-hmm. think of it as the most iconic guitar in the entire world. It was just a guitar that he built and it was yeah. like no big deal. So the album, Mammoth, mm-hmm. uh, that he played, the, the, the Frankenstrat or the Frankenstein, depending on how you, know, how you want to say it, actually debuted just a short time ago and is a huge opening for this uh, record. It registered the following first week chart positions here in the U.S. Top rock albums, number one. Hard rock albums, number one. Independent albums, number one. Top album sales, number two. Current album sales, number two. And on the Billboard 200, uh, came in at number 12. Wow. Did did you uh, guys check out Mammoth? Yes. I really liked both the song and the video. Yeah. I loved the blending of the old black and white clips of uh, people dancing along with the song. That's fun. Mm-hmm. And also, did you notice during the guitar solo, so he's playing the Frankenstrat, right? We can't see it, but um, the images of the people shifts to, um, and even some animals, there's like some cats <laughs> who, who are becoming especially tuned into the audio. And it shows a series of people uh, wearing headphones or to, like getting closer to a radio. And this woman even takes off her headphones and holds them out and you can still hear the music, but it's like, it's playing through her headphones and it's just for the guitar solo part. It's almost like a homage Mm. to the Frankenstrat is how Mm. I interpreted it. I thought it was really clever. Mm. And, um, and also there was this kid kind of like waving his mom away, like (laughs) not right now. He's playing the Frankenstrat away. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't like either song I heard. Oh. oh no! See, here's here's the problem with Wolfie. All right, he grew up with a lot of money, mm-hmm. so he doesn't have the struggles of the Van Halen brothers. Mm. So the Van Halen sound came from their struggles. Mm. So unfortunately, he grew up a rich kid, so there's no pain behind his music. Okay. So unfortunately, I just don't think he's ever going to be a great musician. Like he's he can play, he can outplay the shit out of me. Yeah. He could probably outplay me when he's six, but. <laughs> I just, I just don't think he has the magic. Maybe having just lost his legendary dad, maybe his next album will be, uh, you know, more, more soulful, more uh, like you're saying from an emotional place of pain and suffering. I don't think so. I just think he needs to like live in the gutter for a while. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. I think about Metallica living in a van. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. That was 1980s news. Hey, if you like the show so far, please take a moment to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us right now. Okay, on today's show, we'll be listening to some of the best and worst 
novelty rap songs from the 1980s. And on Thursday, please join us again for a special episode. That's two episodes this week when we'll be chatting with rap royalty, Sir Mix-A-Lot, uh, a performer who became known around the country and perhaps even the world from his novelty song, Square Dance Rap. And that was long before Baby Got Back. Mm -hmm. We're talking about in the 1980s. Okay, I'm going to start off with a song that I remember, and actually, well, there's at least a few on here, that I remember DJing with as a kid, you know, when I was a young DJ playing these at parties, because people wanted to hear them. But this is one of the songs that, on our list, I'm going to say this may be the best song on this list, and I'm talking about Rappin' Duke by Sean Brown. So you think you're bad with your rap? Well, I'll tell you, Pilgrim, I started the crap. When you were in diapers and wetting the sheets, I was at the Ponderosa rapping to the beat. Da ha da ha. Come on. Da ha ha ha. You can't help but want to sing along with that song. <laughs> yep. This song was released in 1984. As I mentioned, it was uh, performed by Sean Brown, who also wrote it. It was produced by H.B. Barnum, who was mostly known as an arranger at this time, for a wide variety of performers, including Lou Rawls, Frank Sinatra, Aretha Franklin, and tons of others. Like many other rap songs at the time, the lyrics were, you know, in this braggadocious mm. style, you know, yes. that was popular at the time. But unlike any other rap song before or since, the premise of the song is that John Wayne, who's nicknamed the Duke, was actually doing the rapping, which, I mean, <laughs> for some reason in the 1980s, and not unlike Little Nas X, uh, recent contribution to rap, there was more than one hip-hop song that had a tie to the Old West. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously. And then you got Cool Mo D. That, that's, that's my favorite Wild Wild West song. Yes, exactly. This song makes a lot of references to things that were popular at the time. He playfully disses some other rappers that were, you know, way more successful <laughs> than Sean Brown was. But it's, this is John Wayne dissing them. Curtis Blow, Run DMC. And he does a little parody of uh, Shaka Khan's uh, I Feel For You. You know, where, you know, if you remember she, in the song, it's Melly Mel, I believe, that's saying, you know, Shaka Khan, oh, yeah, let me yeah. rock you, let me rock. Well, he does, Aretha Franklin, let me rock you, let me rock you, Aretha Franklin. <laughs> yes. I wonder if that was there because of his producer was H.P. Uh, Barnum. And of course, that uh, refrain, duh, duh, it's a parody <laughs> of how uh, John Wayne laughed. Mm -hmm. The song peaked at number 73 on the Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop chart. And I, I say this is, you know, one of the best ones because it's really catchy. This guy actually was a, you know, a rapper. And unlike many of the novelty rap acts at the time, and I think unlike any other song on this list, probably, it actually led to Brown's success uh, in fact, in 1985 and 1986, he opened for Bobby Brown and Stevie Wonder. Hmm. And finally, the legacy of the song continues on in the lyrics of the late uh, legendary rapper, The Notorious B.I.G., who actually references it in his uh, own song, Juicy, by saying, remember rapping Duke, da-ha, da-ha. <laughs> <laughs> and you might have heard that song and never realized it, but that's what he's talking about there. <laughs> anyway, I'm a fan Very of cool. this song. It's a song I could listen to, whereas I got to tell you guys, doing this, preparing for the show, I, I felt physically ill <laughs> listening to most of them. There's a couple things that oh, these man. songs, they, these people do often they think is rap. And it made me feel nauseous. Like I really had cramping in my stomach. Oh, no. I think we should all say whether it was good or not. I think that one was good. I think it's funny and funny hmm. is good. So we need a, we need a rating system here. So instead of, is it whack or is it 
No, whack is. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's what whack is. <laughs> whack is bad. All right, fresh. We'll do two eighties right, turns. Fine. Whack or fresh? Okay. This one is fresh. I say fresh. Yeah, fresh. I just wanted to hear you guys say whack and fresh. I think it's pretty <laughs> funny. All right. Our next song is Wham Rap. Enjoy what you do with a question mark. Hey, everybody, take a look at me. I've got street credibility. I may not have a job, but I have a good time with the boys that I meet down on the line. Says D H S S. I think it's funny that George Michael, the first line is that he's rapping and now he has a lot of street credibility. I know. <laughs> opposite, opposite. Hey, hold your opinions until she gives us her, yes, her yes, review. Yeah. Well, this was actually the debut single for Wham. What? The debut single of all their songs? I know. Not <laughs> Wake Me Up. I couldn't believe it either. Well, in the UK, at least. I don't know how it That's fine. Yeah, that's still shocking. Yes. I was also shocked by uh, reading that. Mm. It was released uh, June 16th, 1982. It originated in 1981 with Andrew Ridgely singing his own words that he came up with. (laughs) Wham, bam, I am the man. (laughs) Ray says that all the time. (laughs) He stole your thing. (laughs) But he he came up with this phrase while he was dancing in a nightclub. To the yep. song Rapper's Delight. Of course. Well, yeah. <laughs> had to be Rapper's Delight, right? Well, yeah, because yeah. see, so yeah. So Rapper's Delight, even though it's it's in dispute whether it's actually the first hip hop single, because that honor seems to go to the fat back band's King Tim. That's the song. It was released a few months before Rapper's Delight. But hmm. I believe Rapper's Delight is, is or was the first hip hop single to break into the top 40 of the Billboard 100. The Billboard Hot 100. So, yeah, of course it's playing at a club when uh, the future of Wham! is uh, there hanging out. Well, there you go. So I, I mm. guess they were had rapping on the mind. <laughs> this is what a running theme in a lot of these are, right? These songs are only made because folks said, hey, rapping's popular. I'll do that too. Mm-hmm. As if anybody could just do anything that's popular. Yeah, but here's the crazy part. This is really early mm-hmm. and his rapping doesn't suck I disagree. <laughs> like his his flow is pretty goddamn good, dude. Well, like I was really surprised at how well compared to some of these other ones. Like mm-hmm. his rap was actually like a rap. Well, I would say George Michael in general has flow. Yeah, but I'm just saying it actually. I thought this was gonna suck total. Shit. I really did, mm. but it didn't. I was surprised. Wow. This, this is right. probably my favorite Wham song. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, These what? are two Wham songs. <laughs> yeah, I know. This is his favorite one. <laughs> this is my favorite. No, I think I've heard three. So yes, right. Throw Kayla's Whisper in there too. Yeah. Right, of course. Oh man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna say whack. I'm gonna say fresh. And I'm gonna say frack <laughs> because it's groovy, but it's also Oof. I. It kind of makes me feel like he needs to stick to more traditional pop singing. I appreciate mm-hmm. that more from him. Mm. I wish they would have done more rap. (laughs) Just, just think how good they would have been by like 86 or 87 at it. I don't see any improvement happening. No. You know, part of it is, is it doesn't seem like this came from a an organic place. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, from an organic place, as you say, the next one came from the next song is funky man by the artist known as DD King. (laughs) And 
you know, if I, Kat, if I had, before we did this show, said, hey, Ray's starting to rap. Let me play you a song he made. <laughs> Would you have any doubt that that was a rap that Ray made? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Absolutely. If I was a rapper, this is what I would sound like. Yeah. I don't know if you're, you know, you're aware of this or not, but D.D. King no. is actually D.D. Ramon from the Ramones. You know, it's hilarious. Because it's because, he, you know, he, so he produces, he releases a song yeah. uh, under this, you know, named D.D. King. But you heard that line I just played. Within the first like 10 seconds of the song, he says, my name is D.D. Ramon. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a lot that goes into this, okay? Yeah. D.D. loved rap because he, I forget what the song is. It will know this. Uh, somebody yeah. says, what time is it? It's Gucci time. Yes. Schooly D. Right. So, so D.D. heard this and because he was a poor white guy, he immediately understood what they were saying, the ability to buy Gucci. He mm-hmm. compared to that, like, I had that same feeling. So now I want to rap. Mm. But he also goes, but mm-hmm. I didn't know how to do it. And I sucked mm. at it. <laughs> but I wanted to so badly because yeah. I loved it so much. So yeah. this song came out in 87. Uh, he wouldn't leave the Ramones until 89. So he mm. released this single while he was still in the Ramones, one of the biggest punk bands in the world. And he would show up at like, dress rehearsal in the track suit with the Kanga hat and the big gold chains. <laughs> and he would get his ripped. Didn't they have to pay a fine if they didn't show up in uniform? Yeah. Every time he showed up without his leather jacket and his ripped blue jeans, he got fined, but he kept doing it because he's like, nah, I'm DD King. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I ever, the only other thing I got about this one is, is the producers were Chris Williamson and, and Rich Reinhardt and Rich Reinhardt. Guess who he is? He's Richie Ramon from the goddamn Ramones. So, oh my gosh, <laughs> he kept it in the family. I love the fact that he tried it, but th- yeah. I can't say this is good. I can't. So you think this is whack? Yeah, yeah. I gotta say this is whack. I love DD, and he's a great songwriter. But I wish he would have went and got some help from some of his rap friends. Huh. I think I wouldn't listen to it more than once. So whack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stay fresh. Oh, I actually liked this song. And I think it was one of those things where I don't want to see it was so bad. I liked it. Mm-hmm. There was something about like, I, I, when I first heard it, I thought, all right, well, this one has the, a, a beat that sounds most like what we would expect from a late eighties sort of song, you know, sound more like, like you're saying, Ray, like a beastie boys song. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I couldn't, I was mesmerized by listening to it because it <laughs> sounds like He's making it up as he goes along. It does. I'm not sure it rhymes. He's just talking about whatever he's doing. It's literally, my alarm clock went off and I yeah. got out of bed. And now I'm walking down the hall and here's some stairs. I mean, yeah. it's just like a catalog of everything he did or is doing while he records it. Yeah. And I, I found that fascinating. I couldn't stop listening. So I say fresh. <laughs> this is all right. This is another song that not unlike rapping Duke, I'm going to say, is maybe one of the best of the worst novelty songs. Hmm. <laughs> what I'm talking about here is a Honeymooners Rap by Joe Piscopo featuring an uncredited Eddie Murphy. Norton Powell, thanks for coming down. What's the matter, Ralph Alice Mullen Pound? Exactly, pal, and she's the worst by far. I say she ain't as bad as mine. Ha ha ha, ha ha ha. Ha ha I may be taking it all back. <laughs> Look, this is so. This is the only single from uh, Joe Piscopo's album New Jersey, which was released in 1985. It was written by Joe Piscopo along with Hal Wilner, who also produced it. Hal Wilner was a guy who was best known for assembling tribute albums. 
The song features Joe Piscopo doing something he did on Saturday Night Live, the character of Ralph Cramden from The Honeymooners. And as I mentioned, we've got an uncredited Eddie Murphy who's doing Ed Norton, which seems strange because just two years earlier, Eddie Murphy was doing both these characters in a much more controversial <laughs> uh, you know, sketch mm-hmm. in his stand-up routine, Delirious. Yeah. So I remember hearing this then a couple of years later. It's like, wait a second, this Eddie. It's, and he wasn't on the, th- no one knew it was him, but you hear it, you're like, I know who that is. Um, I imagine he didn't want to be credited because he knew it was terrible. <laughs> but I think that this song, like I said, may be the best of the worst, probably because you have contributions from Grand Mixer DST, who was later known as Grand Mixer DXD, who does the scratching and sampling on it. This guy, you know, in addition to being regarded as one of the first turntablists of the world, you know, a guy who uses a turntable as an instrument, he helped popularize scratching by performing on Herbie Hancock's Rocket. Wow. Which everybody, you mm-hmm. know, learned a lot about hip hop, I think, by hearing that song. Mm-hmm. The album, <laughs> the album New Jersey, I'm shocked by this at all. That it actually even was even on the Billboard Hot 200 <laughs> or, and, or that it wasn't 199 or 200. It was 168 and remained on the chart for three weeks. Huh. Wow. Uh, (laughs) Contrast that with another album that was also released in 1985, Eddie Murphy's How Could It Be, (laughs) which was a commercial success, reaching 26 on the Billboard 200 and number 17 on the top R&B hip hop album charts. Of course, that's the album that had Party All the Time, which Mm -hmm. made it to number two on the Billboard Hot 100. I remember again playing this song at parties, uh, you know, for people's uh, school dances, uh, first communions, etc., Everybody loved it. It was one of those ones that's kind of fun to sing to. But it's another one that seems like it was written by folks who think, ah, I figured out what rap is. And it's popular, so we're going to do that. So it's all it's got all the tropes. I, I say whack. I don't like this one. I say mm. fresh because it's funny. Oh, I'm going to say... I was going to say frack, cat's new category, <laughs> but I feel like we need to pick one. And I wasn't going to force Aww, cat to sorry. I'm try- you know what I'm trying to think? I'm trying to think that I feel sick earlier when I was listening mm. to it because I hadn't listened to it in you know, like 40 years or whatever. That's a good barometer. I think. Did I feel sick when I listened to this mm. one? I did a little bit. So I'm going to, and I remember why. It was because they were doing one of these tropey things of the song mm-hmm. where it's like this sort of call and repeat between the two guys, <sighs> but in the most horrible, you know, way. So I'm going to say whack. <laughs> yeah. I think this one bothers me because it's a parody of rap. Oh. It's not a rap song. It's it's a it's a SNL skit. Mm. Is all it is. Ah, mm-hmm. that's what bothers me. I don't like that. I hadn't mm-hmm. thought about that. That's mm-hmm. a really good observation, Ray. I'm looking at our list here, the ones we've talked about and will talk about. Mm-hmm. You're right. I think for the most part, they're sincere in a sense. Yeah, there there's people who think they're trying. Like, I I would prefer to listen to DD do his mm-hmm. song yeah. than this one because DD was f- crying. Oh, okay. Yeah. This yeah, yeah, this yeah. is a this is a skit to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mm-hmm. see what you mean. Yeah, hmm. fair enough. All right, so the next one up is Black Leather by Joan Jett. Late at night while the normal's rest, I feel real wicked when I start to dress in my clothes. They stare at me like I want to make love to my body. I'm not a dream, but I am... Here's the crazy part about this one, all right? This is a rap song done by someone who is a rocker, who's got great albums, and it's the only rap song on the album it was on, which was called uh, Good Music. And it was written by Jet, Reggie Griffin, Eddie Morris, who's also Scorpio from right. uh, Grandmaster, Grandmaster Flash, Flash and the Furious yep. Five. And right. uh, William Adler, who was also a Jeff Def Jam uh, publicist. So she had help. And the second I heard it, I thought, 
This reminds me of King of Rock, the, the guitar riff, mm-hmm. which makes sense because of um, Larry Smith was the producer on right. this. He produced uh, Run DMC and Houdini. So it makes sense why it would sound like that. And then she opens her mouth and <laughs> one, she can't rap. And the lyrics they gave her suck. Ass. They're horrible. But what I will say is, is that after Scorp- Scorpio comes in and does his part of the yeah. song, she mm-hmm. actually does better. So I would assume this was recorded live. Mm, right. So the first part is really weak. He comes in, he does his rap part, and it kind of boosters her up a little bit. And she does sound better the second half of this song, but man, I, I, I do have to say this though. Yep. On October 4th, 2018, in the New York Daily News, Brian Nemitz wrote this. In 1986, Joan Jett famously sang in her hit tune, black leather that I'm going to wear it to my grave. Now, not so much. Referring to her not wearing animal shit no more. In what world does this guy think that this was a hit song? I tried to look up his age and I couldn't find it, but I only can assume this guy is 12 years old. <laughs> well, you know, maybe he's on the record label's payroll or something. This song sucks shit. It, it was not a single. It did not get released as a single. Um, the album itself only hit number 105 on the U.S. Billboard 200. I'm sad because she had legitimate rap people, right. hip-hop people helping her. This makes no sense. Maybe they should have been helping Dee Dee instead of her. Yeah, that's what I mean. Why were they helping her when Dee Dee needed the help? The, the <laughs> one guy on this album, he co-wrote Jailhouse Rap for the <laughs> Fat Boys. Yeah, I think when you hear the uh, Scorpio part, you're like, if you just listen to that, you think, oh, this is a good song. This is a legitimate rap song. And then she starts singing again. And this or- is this is where she failed, okay? Because this was a, a cash grab of, hey, Aerosmith and Run DMC made a song. But um, if you recall, Run DMC rapped and Steven yeah. Tyler just did the, the, the chorus. Yeah. So maybe, I don't know, maybe she should have let Scorpio do all, like some <laughs> real verses and her do a chorus. Like they could have had a legitimate hit had they done that. A blending, yeah. I'm just going to straight up call this, this is trash. Oh, skipping whack. He's going straight whack. This is trash that should have never been on the album. I don't even know how she listened to this back and was like, yeah, put that on the album. This is fantastic. (laughs) Some A&R person was like, this is great. You got gold here. (laughs) See, this is what I don't get about rap. Like I was uh, sort of alluding to earlier. It seemed like in the 1980s, because it was popular, because it was making money, everybody assumed they could do it. Yeah. Like, there's so many styles of music I would not attempt to sing. Like opera. I am not a trained opera singer. But if opera were popular in the 1980s, would folks start trying to sing? I I could do that, too. (laughs) Just like that, it requires a certain skill. Getting physically ill. All right. I agree. (laughs) It's whack. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to say whack, too. It's not super pleasing to my ears. Speaking of opera... Opera rap by Taco. Just dig the beat, now listen to me more. Your son's gonna do some opera. Figaro. Abravo Figaro, bravo, bravissimo. Abravo Figaro, bravo, bravissimo. Ate fortuna, ate fortuna, ate fortuna. Man, he can sing, huh? Mm-hmm. Dude, I think this might be my favorite song on this list. Yeah. Dude, this is mm-hmm. good. I love Taco. Mm-hmm. Check out our interview from a few months ago with Taco. Mm-hmm. Great guy. I mean, so talented mm-hmm. and hardworking. He only made it, you know, because he worked so hard and, and, and didn't give up. It's really kind of a success story in that regard. But I agree with you, Ray. There's something about this. He raps at the beginning, then he goes into these various opera standards. Mm-hmm. 
something about it, which is really cool. I, yeah, for me, I didn't, you know, I know it was called opera, you know, opera, opera rap, but yeah. when he goes into it, yeah. I was like, holy crap, this is good. Well, I yeah. think he didn't overdo the rap part. It was surprising when I first heard it because there's something yeah. incongruous about it. It seems a little awkward mm-hmm. because of how I perceive Taco. <laughs> but but yeah. when he starts into the belting out those phrases from those operas. It's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah. It was released in 1984 on the album Let's Face the Music, which was put out by RCA Records. And this song was so, you know, they had a bunch of, like I said, these standard uh, opera tunes that they were put into this one track. It was So it was adapted by Taco and his frequent collaborator, Werner Lang, who also worked with him on After Eight, which was the album before it, which was his first album and his most successful mm-hmm. was number 23 on the album charts. This one didn't chart on the, on the Billboard charts, this album that uh, let's face the music, as you mentioned, but um, hey, I love this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's his, in his uh, inimitable, inim- what's that word? Inim- inimitable. Inimitable <laughs> uh, taco style. Yeah, He was doing like mashups before mashups were a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. I think if this was released today, it'd do a lot better than it did back in the day. Fresh. Fresh. It's crazy fresh. <laughs> a new standard. Now we got trash, whack, fresh, crazy fresh. Okay, next up is the City of Rap. All right, this is from the movie Dragnet, 1987. The rappers are Tom Hanks, Dan Aykroyd, um, also joined by Glenn Hughes, who was from Deep Purple, Black Sabbath. Uh, He did bass and vocals on this song also. Pat Thrall, who also worked with Asia, Meatloaf, Glenn Hughes, Joe Satriani. The song is written by Peter Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd, Pat Thrall. Produced by J.B. Moore and Robert Ford, who worked with Curtis Blow, of all people, mm-hmm. um, who is the first artist assigned to a major label as a rapper and the first certified gold rap single, The Breaks. So, like, they had legitimate people work on this. The lyrics are cool as shit. It fits the movie. And I, I honestly think, I think Tom Hanks and, and Dan Aykroyd did a fantastic job with this. Their rapping is solid. But once again, this is an SNL skit. Mm-hmm. It's not a rap mm-hmm. song. It's a it's an SNL type skit. So mm-hmm. I like it, but I I gotta say it's not a great song because of that. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the ones that gave me a stomach ache, and <laughs> it's not included in a clip we heard just there. But they did this thing, which again, it's just so many folks are like, "Hey, I figured out the formula for rap. I know what to do now." And they have this this sort of call and response between uh, Dan Aykroyd and Tom Hanks, and it's like, uh, <laughs> "Oh, but don't forget, you need to read him his rights. Read him his rights. Read him his rights." <laughs> oh, I get a stomachache just right now. But but that's because it's a skit. Mm-hmm. It's not a rap song. It's not them being. They're not absolutely seriously trying to write a rap song. They're no. Nah. It's a parody. It's yeah. a goddamn parody, dude. Yeah. That's what makes it stupid. <laughs> I think the song and the movie both whack. I like the <laughs> movie. I'm going to go down to trash. Trash. Dude, I like the movie. Oh, no, they're both awful. Oh. I forget the movie. I know I saw it, but I forget it. Mm. Anything with Aykroyd, I like. I, I didn't like that Joe Friday impersonation he was doing. I, I thought it was terrible. <laughs> he dragged out poor Harry Morgan to be in it, who was an original dragnet. <laughs> Ugh, poor guy. I agree with you that there was a lot of heart in it. Tom Hanks was like rapping his heart out. He he almost sounds like a beastie boy. Come on. He's got the energy, certainly. (laughs) Like, I think they did 
what they were asked to do. Mm-hmm. Like if this was on SNL, you wouldn't even think anything of it. You'd be like, yeah, that was funny. Right. You know, maybe they should have stopped there, well, but they made a whole movie. So what do you, what do you want me to do yeah. about it? Eddie Murphy could have been in the Tom Hanks role. And I think it would have been the exact same. Just as bad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, it's somewhere in between whack. I'm not going to say it's good or fresh because it's not. I want to say frack, but Will won't let me. So you raise inventing his own sta- standards as he goes. You can say whatever you want. That's true. Yeah, I'll do whatever I want. I'm going to make my own too. Frack. <laughs> Only because I do appreciate uh, Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Next one is, <laughs> oh my God, <laughs> is Raffin Rodney. I played hide and seek when I was three. No respect. No respect. Why they wouldn't even look for me. No respect. No respect. I was an ugly kid. I never had fun. No respect. No respect. <laughs> by Rodney Dangerfield, released in 1983. It was co-written by J.B. Moore and Robert Ford Jr. Yeah, so as Ray mentioned, uh, those are the guys who co-wrote, or they co-wrote this song. They also worked with Curtis Blow on The Breaks. Yep. In this song, it has the same cadence as The Breaks. <laughs> if you ever heard the Curtis Blow song, yeah. The Breaks, essentially, but instead it's Rodney's stand-up. Mm-hmm. It's basically Rodney Dangerfield's uh, s- signature self-deprecating stand-up comedy routine. Over an instrumental track of The Breaks. <laughs> <laughs> basically. I mean, it's, the music's even like The Breaks. I think I blocked this one from my consciousness. I remembered it <laughs> from uh, it, all the airplay I got yeah. on MTV. But yeah. um, I think my eyes, when I first watched it last night, looked like Rodney Dangerfield's because I... <laughs> What's wrong with his eyes? What are you saying, Kat? Uh, anyway. Harsh. <laughs> This one, I didn't get a stomachache, and I think it's because it was, at least the meter of it is similar, so similar to The Breaks, a song which I like, that, I don't know, I was unable to, I didn't get that same, you know, sort of physical response. Mm, That's good, that's good. I'm not saying fresh, though. Whack, still whack. Right, right, yeah. (laughs) Man, I'm I'm torn on this one. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you've been so quiet. It actually earned him a Grammy nomination. Boy. Yeah, for (laughs) Best Comedy Recording but it was beaten by Weird Al. Oh, thank God for that. How was he even nominated in the same category with Weird Al? Well, they have to have a category, oh, yeah. so. <laughs> yeah. Now, in the song, there's a middle part that's in the song, but not in the video, and he says these lines like, play something from the 40s. How about Stardust? That's not Stardust. He's going on and on, like, lamenting, you know, that it doesn't sound like mm. old music, and then all of a sudden he changes his mind, and he likes the bass player, and... And how the drummer carries the melody. And then he says, keep it going, boys. I'm in the groove. So he was a convert. He, he, it took him one minute. That's what folks want to hear when they're listening to a song. The singer putting down the song they're in. <laughs> this song sucks. Play a different song. <laughs> this was tough, what? man. I love Rodney Dangerfield. Wow. I'm still thinking about it. <laughs> man, I, I don't, I don't want to badmouth him. Yeah, but look, no, you don't have to. He's an amazing comedian. He's funny. Hilarious. And mm-hmm. I, I think the jokes in this thing are, are great, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I think I heard them in an HBO special. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yes. As a rap song, is this good? No. No, right. I have to admit, this is whack. It's it's funny, but whack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just like you feel bad saying anything's but whack. I kind of do, yeah. I don't think she's, has she given any whacks yet? Yeah, there was one where we all said was whack. Yeah. Which one was uh, I think mm-hmm. Joan Jett. The black leather? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, black leather. Mm-hmm. That thing sucked. Are we ready for the next final one? Yes. Here? Yes, that's you. This is the one that made me the most nauseous. Oh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, guys, I'm not kidding around. It was hard. Look, as a fan of hip hop, 
it was hard for me to listen to some of these and watch the clips. It was really hard. Oh no. But I did it for the show. Hmm. So now that I've had this, I've had this suffering. I've got a lot of good rock music in me. Got to get together with Wolfgang. Right on. So the last uh, song on our best and worst novelty rap songs of the 1980s is truly a bad song. <laughs> now, if any song epitomizes sort of the what this sound this list sounds like, it's top that the rap song from the 1989 film Teen Witch. I'm king and they know it. When I snap my fingers and these bodies say short, I am hot and you're not. But if you want to hang with me, I'll give it. You know, I realize uh, not seeing the video, the song actually sounds better. Oh. If you see the clip from the film yeah. with these kids, these unfortunate actors who, it's an interesting story, but that were put in the position of performing this, mm -hmm. it makes it so much worse. <laughs> um, but Teen Witch, well, either of you guys a fan of the film Teen Witch mm. from 1989? Can't say that I was. I don't think I saw it. <laughs> I've never seen yeah. this movie. <laughs> I think we were probably too old. My wife, who's a few years younger, loves this movie. Mm, okay. It starred Robin Lively, the older sister of uh, Blake Lively. Really? Who in 1989, yeah, she's like 15 years older than she is, huh. but uh, yeah. In 1989, she also appeared in another interesting film. <laughs> she appeared as Daniel's love interest in The Karate Kid 3. Really? Oh. With Terry Silver. The production budget for Teen Witch was $2.5 million. The film was released in the U.S. on April 23rd, 1989, and grossed $3,875. No wonder I haven't seen it. No. Yeah, and it only made $27,000 in its entire run. Huh. But it did uh, live on on video and ultimately DVD and was shown on cable. In fact, I believe it was on the Disney Channel at one point in rotation. So it became a cult classic, I think, with some folks that are, you know, again, slightly younger than us mm -hmm. and maybe even younger than that. The film itself was originally pitched as a female uh, teen wolf, but then it was later reworked to be a sort of a, you know, its, its own sort of story. Um, while it's not a musical, the film does feature numerous MTV style music video montages. And in some of the montages, like there's one song where it's called like Popular Girl. And it's, she's not singing along with it. It's just a montage of her getting ready. But then it gets to a section where it's a rap break. And suddenly the people in the scene really start rapping to her. Like this happens a couple of times in the film. It's really bizarre. What happened was apparently the film wrapped and the producers looked at the film and they were like, oh, nobody's going to watch this. This thing is terrible. <laughs> so they got this idea. We know how we'll make it better. And, uh, you know, again, this is the late 80s. Let's add rap. Obviously. <laughs> Like all these other songs on the list, they thought, hey, we know we can capitalize on this popular phenomenon, which by 1989, you know, had been, you know, certainly was in the zeitgeist, you know, for, I don't know, let's say five, six years by then the general public was aware of it. So what they did was they called folks back. They called the actors back. They called the composer back, Larry Weir, and said, hey, can you write rap songs? <laughs> and Larry said, yeah, yeah, sure. I can do, yeah, of course. And so this uh, film composer wrote this, you know, rap song called Top That. The actors spent two weeks rehearsing the song and this terrible dancing that they do to it. That it's so bad. The actors knew it was bad when they did it, but they had no choice. Right. In fact, Noah Blake, who plays Rhett, who's the main rapper in the scene, it raps opposite Mandy Ingbert's character, Polly, said, quote, there was no moment that I was ever not in peril that this would be totally humiliated. Oh no, it's so sad. And it's something that must be seen. Like I mentioned, it, it, it's different 
experience. The song sounds terrible, but you see the music and the, the video together. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the, the, but the, apparently the actors themselves weren't good enough, I guess, as far as the rapping goes, because the composer already had people record the music or, or record the rap. And they just, uh, but the, the actors didn't realize much like David Prowse when he saw Star Wars for the first time, they were dubbed over. So mm -hmm. there were other folks that actually sang it. Drew Grant of Nerve.com stated, quote, it's everything wonderful and terrible about that decade rolled into one misguided appropriation of hip hop, end quote. <laughs> and I think that's true of most of these songs on here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This was the only one that made me angry. Oh my gosh, wow. <laughs> if I'd have watched like two more minutes of it, I'd have wanted to punch a wall. I am with you, man. I didn't consider smashing anything or... Hmm. But no, I didn't. Yeah. Maybe Rodney Dangerfield eyes I might've had, but <laughs> I, can't, I don't know what's wrong with his eyes. What are you? <laughs> In a 2007 interview with Austinist, the uh, songwriter, Larry Weir acknowledged the movie's cheesiness, commenting on long lines at screenings for the film, you know, since, cause it's, again, it's a cult classic. Weir joked that it leads him to quote, believe that there are some pretty messed up people out there. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Look, I, I have nothing against the artist who worked on this, but you know, there was the producers that were driving this, which isn't surprising because yeah. they thought, you know, it would be a way of saving this film. Mm -hmm. the, the film, it turns out is beloved, you know, for, for all of its camp and mm -hmm. I guess terrible rap numbers. <laughs> hey, the, the kids were just doing what they thought they had to do. I blame the right. people in charge for how bad this turned out. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's all of the songs on our best and worst novelty rap songs from the 1980s. So if you had to pick which song was the best off this list, Will, what would you pick? Yeah, I think I'm sticking with what I said originally, uh, Rap and Duke. Again, it's cheesy, I get it, but there's something catchy about yeah. it. And I think it comes from a more sincere and original place, even though he's doing a character. Mm -hmm. I think it's different and distinguishable from those other ones in the way that Ray was suggesting. Yeah. yeah. What, what about you, Kat? Taco. That was surprising, mm. but really amusing. <laughs> I listened to it a couple of times and it grew on me. Uh, I think we have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt but, uh, but, uh, that Taco uh -oh. was the best song on this list. <laughs> We're not. The show's not even over. It's over now. <laughs> hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. See ya. Later. Later.